prayer this morning, um, I just, God's put it on my heart that, uh, you know, God works in, He works in patterns. It's like everything God does, He repeats. I think it's because we often, we need patterns to remember things. We need God to repeat things. So He, He does things the same and the same. So, uh, example of that, uh, in, in nature is for me uh, the beauty of nature and the way that God created nature. So if you look at uh, like the planetary system on a huge scale or even larger than that, if you look at a galaxy, you see a center point and then you see stuff whirling around at a great speed. And then if you go to like the planetary system, you see the sun in the middle and then you see a whole bunch of stuff spinning around that. Then if you go smaller than that and you go to molecular structure, guess what? You've got a central thing and things spinning around that. And then if you go even smaller, you know what? That happens again and again and again. And God builds in the same pattern over and over and over again. And they're slightly different, you know? The one, gravity holds it together. The other one, some force we don't even know, holds it together. And uh, on an atomic level, it's atomic powers that hold things together. And... I just thought of that. The smaller it gets, the stronger those bonds are. And they work over shorter and shorter distances. This is not part of my preach. This is the pre-preach. <laughs> but God just dropped that into my spirit right now. That So when you look at the larger context, then normally it's gravity forces. And gravitational forces work over long, long distances. But they're not very strong. But they're strong enough to keep planets inside the planetary system. Then if you go down to atomic level, you've got atomic forces, and they're immensely strong. If you split an atom, it creates so much power release because of that force that you see the atomic bomb explode. So we, make, we control that and we make power from that at Kuburg in Cape Town. But immense strong forces that hold those things together... And actually, you know what, if we take that example and we put it into God's church, it looks the same. So there are forces that keep us together as a 412 body. It's like churches all over the world and we all relate to one another. And they work over long distances, but they're not that strong. We see it on the internet and we see things and we hear Andrew speak about it, you hear me speak about people. So I know some people in all the churches of Josh Jen and some overseas. But it and it binds our congregation to them. But it's not that strong. Uh, and then if you go down, we're as a congregation, well hopefully the forces in here are a lot stronger. So what binds us together? It's love for one another. Binds us together. And we're a smaller unit and we're tighter packed. But you need to be really close to one another, like in an atom. If you split those particles in the atom just slightly, they, they shatter and they release all that force. And the same way, we, as Joshua and Otsuren, should be that tightly packed. Because you can't experience those things unless you're that close together. That force only works over short distances. And if I don't know that Simon is sick this morning, then, well, I won't, 
or in care, but I need to be close enough to them to know it. So, yeah, that's free. <laughs> that's just God. Maybe we could just go home. <laughs> that's what God wanted to say. Um, but the same way, and that's how I got to this, is God has patterns in the word that we see. And um, one of the patterns that God uses over and over and over in his word is he calls us. Uh, so how does God call us? Um, where's my device? He uses this. Not often. So not many people get a phone call from God. If you do, come and talk to me afterwards. And uh, anybody in psychology, yeah. <laughs> but if you do get a phone call from God, please come and talk to me. I've got some people that can help you. Um, maybe he does. Maybe I would be wrong, yeah. Because it could happen. True story. Um, but he called Moses. Let's start with some biblical characters. God called Moses. Moses was an old guy when he called him. He was, I think he was in his 80s. When he was called, God put a bush on fire. Quite spectacular. Better than a phone call, I would say. And he was a shepherd. And then he made him a leader of a nation. Uh, some other guys God called. Does he always put a bush on fire? No. Samuel. Samuel was called. His mom promised him. He had no choice. And then God audibly called him. And he was a little boy. And... Uh, that's how God worked with Samuel. And he became a great man of God. He spoke to the nation. Uh, David. David was called by God. Uh, he didn't hear God's voice audibly. His mom didn't promise him. He didn't see a burning bush. But Samuel came and said, hey, God's calling this one. So what do we see is God calls as his way of doing things. But the in this one, he doesn't seem to always have the same way. So he has an individual relationship with us as individuals as well. So does that go, that's an Old Testament stuff. Like, so in the, in the church today, we, all, we, we very quickly say, well, that's what God used to do. So what does God do now? Well, Jesus called people. So let's look at where, God, where Jesus did call people is Matthew 4, verse 18. Thanks, John. And it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, because they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So there's a call of Jesus. Uh, to two brothers and he calls them out of what they were doing and into something new and an incredible response that I see with them is immediately they left their nets and followed him like wow that's quite something huh? Um, and we see that repeated for the 12 disciples that Jesus called uh, and what is a disciple What's the definition of a disciple? So the definition of a disciple uh, is a follower of Jesus. According to the Oxford Dictionary, it only refers to 12 people. Um, the Oxford Dictionary gets some stuff wrong. So why do I say that? So I have proof 
that the Oxford Dictionary, when you look it up, and you'll see that on Wikipedia and everywhere, is that 12 people were disciples of Jesus. No. Wrong. So, now we can go to that scripture of Acts 6. 7, is it? Yes. So, this is Acts 6, 7. This is just after, just context, Jesus has been crucified, the new church has started, so Jesus isn't around anymore. And then... Uh, the church structure actually starts developing now. So the first deacons have been appointed because there was some need for, for more structure in the new church. And the elders started becoming more like praying and giving direction. And right now, we in Acts, just after that, what happens? So the deacons have been prayed in. And what happens? God loves it. He says, that's my pattern. I love what you've done. And it says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So before we were known as Christians, we were known as disciples. Christians is a word that came long after, it's not in the Bible. Before we were known as saints. So. I don't know about the other parents, but I very regularly won't refer to my children as saints. <laughs> How about Femke? <laughs> Saint-like. <laughs> so, but before we were called saints, we were actually called disciples. So the, the, what increased? The number of disciples. So there you go. Oxford Dictionary is proven wrong. The Bible says, and that's where the word came from, is that we are disciples. We're supposed to be called disciples. Christian is a word that other people made up and started calling us. So what is a disciple then? Well, there I think the Oxford Dictionary does have it right. A disciple is somebody that follows Jesus. Follows, so a follower of Jesus could also be that word could also be, it could be looked at differently. What is a follower? A follower is somebody that imitates. So, what do we see? It's quite hard to imitate somebody if you go and see them. Isn't it? So, how do we imitate Jesus? Well, we could read in the word what he wrote. We could follow that. That's a direction. We could could do that but what, what do we find what did Paul say so in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 we see Paul writing did I give it to you I might not have 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 so Paul writes the following he says be imitators of me as I imitate Christ or as I am imitating Christ that's Paul writing Paul's writing to the church and he's saying do what I do because I'm doing what Jesus did so imitate me as I imitate Christ so right there Paul is giving us a little hint and that was that was Nico because they could do what I did because she saw what I did. And then they, they instinctively followed her. That's how we just, I didn't tell them to do that. And this was not set up before the time. 
But they knew that they could follow her because she was doing what I was doing. Now, she was a good imitator of me. So she did exactly what I did. And uh, other than Michael, it was making believe. And he put the wrong arm up and then they all followed him and got, the wrong, got it wrong. Huh? So it was a bad example. Because <laughs> he was trying, but he wasn't seeing me. But she was a good imitator of me. And Paul writes to Timothy later on, and I'll get there again, and it says, uh, I send you Timothy, my son, who is a good imitator of me. So there Paul gives us another hint, that it's not just Paul we can follow, we can follow Timothy. And, um, and years ago, um, uh, we had just done, joined just Jen, Nizla, myself, and uh, we used to be part of NCMI. We went to a conference in, in uh, Bloemfontein. And I remember so well, we met some people from another NCMI church uh, and in a bookstore. And they said, like, oh, you guys are from Just Jen. And wow, you guys are all here. Because we were like more than, more than most of the other churches. Because it was actually a leaders conference. But we didn't get that memo. So all of us went. <laughs> Andrew just went, okay, do you have a goldfish? Yeah, okay, you're a leader, come. <laughs> he really did that. So <laughs> we did the, all the leader t- training time. I didn't even know what I was going to half the time. It's like, we're going to this, okay, we're going. It's like, we sit there, and they start talking about leadership principles. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it worked. Here I am, leading a church. <laughs> so if you have a goldfish, you're a leader. Difficult to lead a goldfish. If you can lead a goldfish, you can lead anything. <laughs> Dog would be easier. But years ago, and and they said, like, what makes you guys so different? Like, why are you so, yeah, and you vibey, and you're all doing all t- things together and stuff. And I said, well, actually, you know what? Uh, I just follow Andrew as Andrew follows Christ. And they were so upset. They were like, you're elevating Andrew Selly to like a standard. And I'm like, no, but I can see what he does. I can see the outcome of his life. So I'm following him. I'm doing what he did. And as long as Andrew follows Christ, I can follow him. If he stops following Christ, please don't follow. And that's a principle that God's building with. God is saying, I've given you examples and I'm giving you examples and I'm I'm showing you the way through other people. So one of the questions I would have for you today is, can people follow you? What would they look like? Would they look like Jesus if they follow you? Or would they look like more the guy that followed Michael and put the wrong hand up? (laughs) Didn't prep that either. That was just his personality. But God is calling each one of us to be a follower and to be worthy of being followed. So, who are you imitating today? Who are you following? Who's the, who's the person that you know that you can follow that puts up his hand? So, just for a... I want to ask a little question just to see something. So, whom of you got saved or would say that you got saved into Joshua Generation Church 
So you didn't know God, and then you met God through people in Joshua Generation Church. So the youth and young. Wow. Okay. So the youth and you. <laughs> yeah, and it was you and then the youth. Great. So the rest of us actually got saved somewhere else and into something else. Now, there's a say, saying that we have, and it's in, in, in Josh Jen, it's not in the Bible, but there's biblical truth to this, that you get what your leaders have. Not what they say they have, what they really have. So if I have mumps and I walk around and I say I have measles, what would you get? Mumps. So you don't get what I say I have, you get what I really have. So I can pretend to be something, but there's a spiritual truth here that you would actually get what I really have. Uh, A scary thought for a leader (laughs) is always, you see that in your children. Because children imitate their parents. And sometimes you look at your kids and they do something great. And you go like, wow, that's amazing. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) They're imitating you. So little kids, especially, you see this as a parent. right? Little kids. Because they're pure imitations of us. And one day... Uh, your little kid walks in the garden and he stubs his toe and he says something and you go whoa and maybe it's not a bad bad word but it is a word you use and all of a sudden it just looks completely different coming from him and you're like oh my goodness but you know it's you <laughs> and uh, and that is so careful what we what we carry in ourselves because that will be in our children. And you have no choice. You will influence the world around you. Either good or bad. It's not, do you have a choice to influence or not to influence? It's actually, are you, are you somebody that can be imitated and look like Jesus or not? Because you will be imitated by somebody. Um, why do I ask the question, who got saved into Josh Chen? Well, actually quite important. I was actually bargaining on Mandy was also going to be here. She got saved into Josh Jen. She testified to it the other day. So not just you. (laughs) Um, But a lot of us were saved into something else. So I went to the Dutch Reformed Church. My grandfather was a minister in the Dutch Reformed Church in Dresd. He helped build that church. That's there. You can go there. For many, many years. Um, so I have great. My cousin, my uncle, my nephew, all ministers in the Dutch Reformed Church. So I have great influences from there. And some of them are amazing. Word-based church. Um, amazing stuff. Principles. I was taught as a child. Um, some principles from the Bible. All the Bible stories. I was taught them. Uh, and it's good. It's helping me today. Uh, I know some some good things. There's some stuff in the Dutch Reformed Church that we don't have. Why not? Well, we actually don't see it in the Word. So there's a difference between us and other forms, or other, other churches. Why? Well, we don't have a board. <laughs> so 
we had Deacon's time uh, last week, uh, yesterday, uh, in Mossel Bay. Thank you guys for traveling all the way to Mossel Bay. It was an amazing time being taught by Mike Davies uh, in, in Mossel Bay about being deacons in the church. And one of the things that he said was, so we do see deacons in the church in the Bible. So what, is, what do they look like? They're important. So why are they important? Because they are men and women that we've that that seen to carry God's spirit. They are men and women that live up to certain standards that the Bible holds. It's the same standards that is actually put there for elders. Incidentally, here's another thing: it's the same standards that's set there for all saints. We should all live according to those. But deacons are people that been recognised that they all, they're already walking in a measure of that already. So, can the deacons, would you guys stand for me? That will be you. <laughs> Dirk. Deacons. So I'm going to tell you, John, standing there at the back, don't miss her. I'm going to tell you guys, these are men and women that you can imitate. Yeah. <laughs> Scary thought, isn't it? Eh? You thought I was going to say they can look after me. They can look at me and follow me. <laughs> no. Not just me. Thanks, guys. But these are people that have been recognized that you can imitate. And look at their lives. Look at the outcome of their lives. Um, and we can imitate them. Hopefully you can imitate myself and Liesl as well. Um, as I imitate Andrew. I have a closer relationship maybe with Andrew. And I'm still following him, following Andrew to this day. So, how does God call? And did God call you? Uh, God calls us each differently. And he calls us to do different things. So, we're not all carbon copies. You could see that in the guys standing up. They're not doing the same thing. They're not a board of deacons either. So, there are differences. And... They're important differences uh, that we how we need to be built. How do, why do we build differently? Why don't we just follow the pattern of whatever other church of movement that we see? Well, we do build, build differently because we believe we've seen God doing that. So we're not building according to our own pattern. We're actually according, trying to build according to God's pattern. And that's still following Jesus. So it says, in the word, it says, Jesus is the architect and the builder of his church. And who watched the Timothy training time on Thursday this week? And Andrew did. Michael watched it with me. Okay, I want to encourage you guys that this coming Thursday, Andrew's doing the second thing, live broadcast from Sunningdale, not from Edgemead. Uh, on training up Timothy's. It's open for everybody. It's going to be, it's, the links are there. You can follow it from the webpage. Really good teaching. Now, he was talking about Timothy there. And Paul wrote about Timothy. It says, uh, you can follow Timothy, my good son Timothy. And this is about raising up 
Timothy's. That's what this whole series of Andrew is about. It's just three weeks, and then he'll do more next year, he promises. Um, on Thursdays, and it says, Timothy is my true son. Something else he said to Timothy is, teach reliable men who in turn will teach others. Uh, and it's men and women, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, it's not just guys. And I want to say each and every one of you guys sitting here are the saints that should be shining God's light and are being trained up. That's what Sunday is about, partly. It's about coming together, worshiping God together. What I'm doing now is training you and equipping you so that you can be the people doing the work of the ministry. That's what Timothy says. It said, train and teach reliable men that in turn will teach other men that will be reliable. To do what? To imitate. To imitate specifically what? Jesus. And that's why when we build church and you see some differences how we build, um, it's because we're trying to follow the pattern that Jesus set there. So you'll hear words in the 412 movement like we're working in a field. Why? Because we see it in the word. That's the word that Paul used. He said, I work in a field. Uh, Andrew spoke about that in, in pattern. So he started with pattern of church structure and how churches relate to one another. Um, so definitely worth watching. Are you called? Yes. Jesus is calling you. So in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26, we see, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There it is. For whosoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? So Jesus is saying there is, he's calling everybody. He's calling everybody. Well, we, like Simon and Peter, immediately put down what we are doing and listen to Jesus' call. That's the question. Because he is calling all of us to be what? To be disciples. To follow him. To imitate him. That is Jesus' call to us, each one today. Will you get it right? Well, the youth got it right immediately. So, the nice thing is, uh, it's actually not that hard to follow Jesus. The big stuff falls in place quite quickly then later on he starts doing you saw like they took a little while to do that they weren't very sure they were not well positioned and sometimes Jesus will work into your life some of the harder stuff so when I got saved smoking, drinking left immediately easy swearing, gone easy and then here and there a word would pop out it would feel strange for myself all of a sudden. But then after a while, 
It didn't. Even if I hit my finger, ask my kids. Right? So, and that's how God works in us. Do I, do, does he expect us to be perfect? No. Does he expect us to become perfect? Yes. As he works through us daily. And in that, in that sense, we become people that others can follow. So are you worthy to be followed? Yes. If you give your heart to Jesus, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you are worthy of being followed. So what will it cost? Well, Matthew 16 says, it's, that's the price. The price is your whole life. He says, whosoever will save his life will lose it. The problem is, if you think, whoa, that cost is too high, well, actually there's nothing else that can pay that. Actually, Jesus says, or what shall a man give in return for his life? So what Jesus is saying there to us is, actually you can't buy salvation for yourself. You can't buy your, your life is not enough to pay for salvation. That's not how you get saved, by giving your life. You give your life because you are saved. The price was Jesus. I don't have what it takes. I, don't, I can't give. What, 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 what would I give God? He made the dust and he made me from the dust. So <laughs> I have nothing to give. But Jesus paid the price for my life. And if I accept that, then, oh, the cost is my whole life. So, and why do I say that? Because we have to count the cost before the time. And uh, the deacons would have heard this poem yesterday. I'll try and do it as good as Mike Davies did it. Uh, it's definitely the better poem reader <laughs> there's a poem here by a guy called Adrian Plus uh, it's titled When I Became a Christian so and it, it's a good it's a good poem to put this into context the cost and then we can weigh it up and decide okay when I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body might be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, I think. I think amen, I mean, I think. I say, amen. I'm not completely sure, so can you just run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yes, that sounds terrific, Lord, I said. I mean, I think. But Lord, there must be some other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said. You could put up with the sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said, I mean, a bit. A bit, I mean, I mean a bit. I bit, I say, I mean. I'm not entirely sure. So can we just run through that again? 
You say I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit. Oh yes, I've made up my mind. uh, And I say amen a bit. While I sat back and thought a while. Then tried a different ploy. Now Lord, I say the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, Amen. Tomorrow? Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I say Amen. I need to get it clear. Can we just run through that again? You say that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I got it straight. I say Amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you, not half of you. But every bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen. I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord. I said, I'd like to follow you. But I think... Religion is not a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then and think about my son. I tell, and tell me, if you're man enough to do what he has done, are you man enough to see the need? And man enough to go? Man enough to care for those whom no one wants to know? Man enough to say the thing that people hate to hear. To battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear. And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end? The moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend. Are you man enough to hold your tongue? And man enough to cry. (laughs) When nails break through your body, are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown. Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down. Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I said, amen. Amen, amen. Amen, 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 amen. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen.